Welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today, a conversation on science, nature, and spirituality. Our program is sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society with host Daniel Strain. Hello, and thank you for joining us. If someone were to walk into your home, would there be any indication of your practice? Would there be any indication of the fact that you have a spiritual practice? Today's topic is sacred spaces in the home. And I am joined by co-hosts Lee Anderson. Hello. Hello. And B.T. Newberg. Hello. And I'm Daniel Strain. Um, so what about that? Uh, if someone were to come into your home, would they see any indication of your practice, whatever tradition it may be? Um, in my case, I would have to say uh, yes and no. They'd have to look around a little bit. Um, there might be some little indications here and there, mostly books uh, of the type of uh, subject matter that I that I enjoy. One title. Um, Give us one title. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, I have a shelf right next to my door that has all of my special books, and these are books that have had a big impact on my way of thinking. So uh, one of them would be uh, What the Buddha Believed. Another one is Stoicism. Uh, it's, that's just the title of it, Stoicism uh, by Sellers. And um, so a bunch of other stuff like that. So they'd be the most obvious one but those are just books if they looked around a little bit more they where they would find my little harry potter room yeah. and uh <laughs> that's now a room that we out. have on what's that now it comes out <laughs> yeah well it's not actually harry potter's subject matter but i say that because it's a little room under the stairs and uh we decided to convert that into our meditation room and so it's like a little closet. You open it up and you can step in there and it's got lights and it's got a little altar and it's got a place to sit. And it's basically uh, in some little carpet down there and everything. And it, it's so it's a nice little meditation chamber, um, but it is uh, very small. Um, but it's it's nice. It's really good to meditate in. But, yeah, you'd have to look around a little bit. Uh, what about you guys? What about you, BT? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I probably have some more explicitly looking, religious-looking stuff than a lot of naturalists, um, which mm. I get from kind of inherited from my pagan uh, background. Uh, you coming into the apartment though, you wouldn't just notice it unless you poked around again, because it's like kind of on the other side of the door in a way. You have to make a kind of an intentional turn right instead of left, um, mm. but then you'll find my altar. Uh, to Isis, which is my patron goddess, um, who to me is, you know, lives in my imagination, but represents to me symbolically the highest and noblest parts of myself. And so having that um, sacred space uh, reminds me and brings to mind the noblest and best qualities of myself. So, um, and it's a place to meditate as well and, and to sort of unload when I have uh, emotionally distraught days and to kind of focus myself on being who I really want to be as, to, as opposed to who I just drift toward when I'm not trying. 
Um, so that's really the biggest thing that anyone would find. Also, yes, the, there's a whole bunch of books underneath that. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Lee? I don't know if anybody came into my house, if it would be obvious to them what my practice is, um, because I've always been kind of the 70s flower child. So there's always been kind of incense <laughs> and, you know, Tibetan bowls. I, I've got a mixture of pagan, Native American, you know, Buddhist type things around. And my specific meditation slash altar area um, is a fireplace that doesn't get used, that I have a cushion sitting in front of. And again, if you walked in there, you would probably just think, yeah, that's just part of her decor like that. So <laughs> I, I don't think anything's really too obvious. Well, it's interesting. But that it, it's incorporated into everything, though, pretty much. That's interesting that you say it that way, Lee, because w when you say that people wouldn't necessarily assume that it's something spiritual, it could just be part of the decor. There's a lot of pagans who intentionally make their altar displays like that. Um, for them, it, it's often because maybe they live in you know parts of the of America or the world where. It's not necessarily welcomed due to the average neighbor to have a pagan around. Um, and so you want people who are in the know to know, but other people not to know. Sometimes that's the case. Um, yeah. And I could see that. Yeah. With me, I, I think it's more of the fact that I don't particularly follow one specific practice. What I do is really a combination, you know, of the different things. So I... In that way, it's diluted, and I guess it makes it less obvious exactly what my spiritual practice is. Mm -hmm. One thing I should note is that in our little thought experiment question here, um, it's not really important what other people think. So right. it's more just a True. thought experiment to say what's in my house. When we say if somebody walked in there, what would they see? That's, that's really more the emphasis. But I think another thing that we ought to make clear for our naturalist friends who may be new to uh, naturalistic spirituality is just what this whole concept is about. You know, you hear us talking about altars and sacred spaces and um, – Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that might seem kind of strange to, our, to some of our naturalist friends. Well, um, first of all, I think uh, – when we say sacred, what do we mean by that? I can say what I mean by it is that um, the etymology of the word, you know, it, it meant uh, set apart, right? So you had a something was sacred, it was set apart. And um, so supernaturalists might think of it in terms of supernatural set apart from the natural, but obviously that doesn't mean anything to us. So for us, set apart means there are certain things that are like, you know, uh, just kind of everyday mundane sorts of things. And then there are other things that are really focused on um, the kind of the important aspects of life, uh, the very, uh, you know, deep things about love and friendship and family and ethics and uh, um even things, fundamental things about how the world works or the beauty of the universe and just these really important, meaningful things 
to life and to our lives specifically. And so there's a reason there for us to set those apart from just your everyday run-of-the-mill kinds of things. Um, now, you yeah, know, and, and, and also just to clarify, um, what we mean by set apart in this case is not that all of those values you just mentioned are not fully integrated into the rest of our lives, quite to the contrary, but rather that we have a dedicated place where we can go and be reminded of those things and right. to focus right. on them. Right. And, 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 that, and that isn't just allowed to be to just kind of like mush into the rest of our lives and just get lost in the jumble. It's a special place. Yeah. You know, in fact, when we were talking about how some people integrate the uh, the stuff into their decor. I I started out that way, and originally, what the things that many of the things that are on my altar now used to just be on top of that bookshelf that I mentioned. And I used to say to myself, "Oh yeah, that's my altar there," you know. But it was just out there, and it just kind of looked like a bunch of stuff on a bookshelf. And so friends would come over, and they'd start tinkering. Oh, what's this stuff over here? And they start ringing the bells and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't understand that it was set apart. It was yeah. sacred for me. And so uh, I was like, I don't really want to hear that bell right now because I'm purposely use sound as a way to trigger a certain moment, a, t- a right. space, and a time for me. Yeah. So I don't want to hear that sound all the time in just regular non-sacred moments. Uh, so anyway, I kind of set that set it apart. I, I put it, you know, wherever. But that doesn't mean that we have to physically set apart. I would think all of those methods are fine. It's just I wanted to explain to our listeners what we meant by the word sacred. Um, there's also the the matter of altars. Um, but what do you guys? What would you guys explain if somebody said, "Well, why do you have an altar? What's that about?" Well, I don't see an altar as too different than anyone who has, like, say, Christians have either a picture of Jesus or a cross in their house. It's a reminder to you of, you know, your spiritual practice, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like how you use the word reminder uh, because that is. If, if we can dip into the psychology of this stuff a little bit, um, one of the things that's been discovered about religious symbols in you in your environment is uh, they've done studies where you have people go into a room and you ask them to do just whatever mundane task, but one room has like a cross on the wall and the other one doesn't. Or one room while you're in there, you hear the call of the mezzuin, which is the you know the Muslim call to prayer, and the other one you don't hear that. And they find that when you are reminded by these religious symbols, if when you're reminded of your deepest values or of the uh, maybe the the great being in the sky that's watching over you, you are you're unconsciously primed to behave more pro-socially. And uh, and so there's actually some kind of like a basic human psychology behind it so when you go in front of your altar and you are stimulated by those particular symbols that mean something to you and are associated with your deepest values your deepest ethics and so on um, it hits you on a more more than conscious level and it makes a difference in your life and you can imagine you know surrounding yourself with all these now 
one could say, anybody who's uh, studied another foreign language and tried to learn the words by putting post-it notes all around your bathroom or whatever, thinking that you're just going to absorb them eventually, you don't, right? <laughs> so I don't know if you, if you have these, uh, if you have your cross or your, your Buddha or whatever image around you all the time, if it's going to keep giving you that um, ethical bump all the time. We don't actually know that yet scientifically. Those studies haven't been done. But the point is that um, one of the functions of having this sacred space that's set apart that has these symbols is you go there, you're stimulated uh, in a similar way that to Daniel was saying about hearing that, that bell that puts them into a certain mind state. There's a psychological mm -hmm. basis to that. So there's like, there is like a solid reason why that we would do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, like on my altar, for example, I've got uh, I've got a little bust of Socrates and I've got a, a little uh, a statue of Buddha and I've got um, let's see what else. I've got a candle. Uh, and for me, the candle uh represents flame or fire and in stoicism they have this thing called the divine fire which is about the kind of the the activity of the cosmos the interactivity of the constant creation destruction cycle uh kind of thing of the universe and uh that kind of reminds me of of impermanence and uh that sort of thing uh so it's very it can be very tailored to the person because what are those things that are going to remind you of the things that you're trying to be reminded of in your practice um and uh, uh also like i said the little singing bowl i i use that and um it's also convenient to have all your little things together there for you know you sit down to your meditation or your reading or whatever you got your stuff there uh, if it's all over the place, you can't really interact with it. Like I also store my incense under there so that there's a smell component and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and then there's other things too, like when when you you enter a sacred space, even not in my home. Like uh, for example, when we go to the temple or there's a there's a place called the Rothko Chapel here in uh, Houston. And um, it's kind of a, a place where a lot of different religious religions kind of come and have events. Uh, it's a city-run place, and it, uh, or it's for the whole city. And I consider that sacred ground. Now, it's not that I think that there's some objective thing going on there that a person could you know, maybe build a detector and detect where the sacred grounds are, anything like that. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's an attitude type thing that, you know, I've decided when I step on a sacred ground, I turn my phone off. Um, I don't want to be in a sacred space checking my email, you know, mm -hmm. um, because that will destroy the function of what I'm trying to do, which is hone my mind on something and, you yep. know. Uh, so there's these little rules that I have for myself. Um, I also don't chit chat about, oh, we got to make that appointment for the thing, and then we got to do all this stuff, and we got to go get my tires changed, and I gotta, I don't 
have that kind of chit chat going on in a sacred space. Yeah, one one can almost draw an analogy to when you're trying to set the mood for a romantic night. There are certain oh. things you don't bring up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that is a great, a wonderful point. Because mm-hmm. really, what you're doing is is you're creating a, a special moment. Like somebody who yeah, might like right. candles to take a boba bath because they have a stressful <laughs> day or something. You know, exactly. you're creating a special moment for yourself. Mm-hmm. If it's a singular, if it's a solo type ritual or uh, activity, but you know, even in communal rituals, they and do the same thing. So that's a wonderful analogy. Yeah, I really like that. <laughs> and yet nobody would say, uh, oh, you're being superstitious. What do you think? The candles are going to help your relationship, help your <laughs> date go well? No, it is just right. sets the mood. We're human beings. We're not robots. Right. So if a person was going to, I mean, I imagine that this idea of sacred spaces in the home is going to vary widely depending not only on the individual but the traditions that they're inspired by, the wisdom that they're inspired by. Um, It's definitely going to vary. And and, um, I should add, just as an addendum to the psychology that I was talking about there, that uh, those symbols I was talking about depend on what your values are. So, for example, if if you're not a Christian, the cross may not uh, create a... The, re- the pro-social reaction I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're like an atheist, uh, uh, reminders of um, judicial authority might. Or if you're a Muslim, the call of the Mezzanine might. Or yeah, like the reason I have a, a Socrates and a Buddha is because I practice kind of a philosophy, a mixed philosophy of Stoicism and Buddhism, East and West, and... That's what that represents to me. But yep. when you brought that, brought the cross up, it actually reminded me that uh, I do have a, uh, a, uh, I do have rosary beads on there recently because uh, Julie and I we went to, uh, we went to Greece, and that's where I got the the little statuette of Socrates, and. Um, we visited um, – oh, no, it was in Rome. We visited uh, the Vatican. And while we were at the Vatican, um, I picked up one. I'd never owned a rosary before. And um, Don't you wear the mullah beads around your wrist? I do. Mm-hmm. Isn't – well, that's – you mean you I wouldn't call that a rosary, rosary, but I guess – yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, kind of similar. I use those to help. In meditation too, I use it for counting my breaths uh, sometimes. But the the rosary, a Christian rosary with a cross on it and everything, I, I I hadn't owned one before, but I went ahead and got one and I put it on the altar because um, it's kind of a cycle for me. I I started as a Christian and then became an atheist and then got philosophical, became a Stoic, became a Buddhist. And only after I'd kind of made that journey did I start to really relate to the uh, teachings of the figure of Jesus in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it felt kind of like a, psych- a circle, only it was a very different reapproaching mm-hmm. to that, uh, uh, naturalistic sort of interpretations. But um, I felt like I understood things that jesus was saying better after going through that like uh forgiving your enemies you yeah. know 
and loving your enemies. You know, that's really hard to comprehend, but after you study Buddhism, it becomes easier to kind of get. And so I put it on there as a remind, as kind of a, a representative of that part of my life of coming back to those concepts. Cool. Well, let me just say at the opposite end too, since we're talking about sacred space around the home, um, I also, one of my sacred spaces here is I have a single chair that is underneath a lone oak tree out in the middle of the field. And I purposely don't take anything out there. There's no symbols. There, there's nothing. Other than the chair, there's nothing man-made. And uh, that's one of the better sacred spaces that I have because I'm basically out there, number one, you know, looking at the awe of nature, but number two, meditating with just the earth, you know, and the environment around me like that, too. So you don't have to have all kinds of different symbols around you you know mm. basically mm -hmm. your your sacred space is just what you make it to be yeah absolutely I yeah i love that and that reminds me of when i was when i was a, a boy growing up with my in my parents place uh so i grew my my father's a crop duster and we actually lived right on the airport in our tiny little town um, so it wasn't <laughs> like a big old airport it was a tiny town airport right and um the whole space there with like my dad being a pilot, like it all felt like it was all like their space, you know, nothing was my own, but there was a drainage ditch. If anybody's ever been in kind of a <laughs> rural area, it's, it's not a river or it's, it's, it's kind of like a creek, but it's artificial just for the water to run off from the fields. So it's not even really like, like wild nature in any sense, but it was, <laughs> but it was just something that I could go out there and I could, go down into the ditch and I wouldn't see anything else or anybody else around and it was just me in the water and the birds and that was like my special little place when I was when I was a, a yeah. kid growing up yeah oh, that's wonderful yeah yeah so the it's like we bring the the sacredness uh, with us sometimes and then sometimes we take it away yeah right yep and I, Lee, I was going to ask you if you could describe for the listeners, uh, uh, because you live in a in a very uh, natural kind of setting, uh, and uh, why don't you describe for us? You know, well, and I've got a combination of quite a few things, but I live in the East Texas piney woods, mm. and so I've got these really tall pine trees that surround um, a lot of the land here. But I have an open field of about 18 acres, and it's a hay field, so it gets mowed maybe twice um, in the summer or so. So it, mm, it doesn't get grown over. But, but I have, um, there's, I think, six individual either oak or pine trees that are kind of in the middle of the field. You know, so so it's it's the very picturesque lone tree in the middle of a field, you know, like that for that area. And then the other area, uh, we have a lake and creeks, uh, like you mentioned, that go through the piney woods and everything. So, lots of birds, lots of animals. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, there always seems to be something special about water, isn't there? <laughs> yes. Yes. Especially moving water. Stuff. Yeah. But I, I think we could also, for for listeners who who might not be naturey types, which there there are those people out there, um, we can also draw an analogy in this part. See, because now we're talking about parts where where we don't have any obvious symbol, symbols to anywhere anyone in these places that it's sacred to us. It just is, right? Um, we can also draw an analogy to a part of your home where when someone walks in through the door, they wouldn't have any idea that this is a sacred space for you. Um, you mm. know, kind of the flip side of our opening mm. question. But for you, that's just where your rocking chair is, you know? <laughs> and, I... and and that's where you can see the sunset from, from your, uh, you know, out the window or something. Or, or that's, you know... It's just the place where you go when there, there's no TV or radio and you can just be alone with your thoughts and just take a breather. There can be those Yeah, in a way you too. could say that, Exactly. Yeah, in a way you could say that the the symbols are really the uh the uh you know it, the secondary kind of thing. It's like uh the real direct experience is where you find the sacred and the symbols are just kind of like a a, a wrapper vehicle that you can kind of use to uh you know as a quickie sort of reminder but to me a direct experience of something that feels sacred to you directly without the need of symbols or language uh you know that's what the symbols are trying to get at is that is that mm -hmm. direct experience so absolutely yeah yeah and you know even little things like um how the light uh, comes in through a certain window or something like that at a certain time of day. And you might even find that certain spaces become sacred after the fact and you never realized it. Oh, I think those are the best ones. Mm. <laughs> they just sort of spontaneously arise. and Yeah, they just kind of, you grow into it. Uh-huh. Yeah. But... Um, uh, you know, and it's kind of like ritual, too. Um, understanding the sacred space concept is kind of like understanding ritual because it's all about where you are mentally when you're mm -hmm. in that space or when you approach that space and what kind of uh, experience you're having in that space. I mean, it would be very possible to, you know, desacralize for the moment, any space by just not being, not recognizing it or not, uh, you know, it's kind of like when it comes to ritual, there's a lot of times where a person could be, everybody's doing a ritual and the person's just sitting there watching and they're not in that frame of mind that everybody else is in. And for them, it's just kind of this meaningless series of actions, uh, and, you know, you could say the same thing about a sacred space in your home. So you're really making that there for you. Um, so it makes sense to allow yourself to have that sacred space and sacred time. Uh, setting aside, setting apart uh, uh, times yes. for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, like you said, it's uh, mainly about your mindset, you know, and 
I like what you said about, you know, things that you didn't set up to be sacred spaces, but they suddenly become sacred spaces because those are the types of things also that, you know, in a busy world, you go on travel, you go other places, but you can take the memory of those places, you know, with you too. And, you know, just the memories help make, make a new place sacred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's why I think I've, I've never really felt a connection to uh, the cemeteries or grave sites of loved ones. I never felt like that's where I needed to go to uh, think about them because they never were there except the very end. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's the places that they occupied or that we occupied together or that I occupy that reminds me of some aspect of them. Mm -hmm. uh, was always more fitting to me than the grave site as a place to uh, reflect on that person. Right. Yeah. I think it's yeah. how, how you think of them and how you remember them. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I like cemeteries and going there to, to think about specific people, but that's because I've built that up through going there. You know, mm. you, you kind of train your mind into remembering the things when you get certain stimuli, and that's that's mm. what a gravestone kind of is. Also, we're kind of just built to um, think concretely more than abstractly, and when you have something physical that you can associate with a person, then that's better than just a, a memory in terms of, like, basic human psychology. But it really just, it matters, it's, it's so much more important how you personally where your emotion is invested in yeah. that person, whether yeah. it's with a, a particular memory or something. Yeah, there's no one right way yeah. <laughs> to do this practice because there's no one there's no one way that all human beings are. Well, um, I think we're near the end of our time, and I really enjoy hearing your guys' perspective on this. Uh, one thing that you know, we could always do is discuss more about sharing ideas about, you know, how to set up places like that or, uh, you know, how practices might integrate with places like that. Um, I can just offer so one quick tidbit on that. One thing that I liked doing when I was in Japan, I don't do it very much anymore for some reason, but um, I liked bringing in something from outside that reflects the season. Um, so if it was That's autumn, cool. for example, I might bring in kind of like the kind of golden, uh, uh, grass, like long grass, mm -hmm. kind of like, kind of like what Lee would have outside when, <laughs> before it's mowed, um, yeah, yeah, that's a neat idea. Of course, you have to be careful with that, not bringing in bugs and stuff. It, so, but, <laughs> <More snakes. laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Uh. So, uh, yeah, we're near the end of our time, and thank you for listening to us. And uh, please check out our other episodes. I want to just put out a reminder that our October course, uh, beginning of October, is our course in Introduction to Spiritual Naturalism. Mm -hmm. And we do have some stuff in there on um, uh, uh, sacred spaces and, and reminding yourself of you know, your deepest values through these particular techniques like this. Do you have that oh, in there? That's true. Good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, so thank you for joining us and please check us out next time. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.
This program was sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Learn more and become a member at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Our music was composed by John Clemens Rood. Jay Forrest is our technical director. Please share our program and join us next time on Spiritual Naturalism Today.